Here we go. The John Curley, Sherry Ellicker Show. Starring Sherry Ellicker and Jacob. Uh, I think it was Abe. Is Abe Vigoda a person? Abe Vigoda. <laughs> Diving in fish. Diving in a Is Abe Vigoda a person? <laughs> wow. It could have been like a famous dog or something. I don't know. Barnaby Miller. Look him up. Did you say Barnaby Miller? Bar- what's his, what show was he on? Bride's coming on. Party. Barney Miller. Barney Barnaby Jones, I was thinking. Good Lord, so many old references. You mean Barney Jones and Barnaby Miller? Okay, okay, hey, hey. Thieves, thieves, tramps, and thieves. You are in a mood. Bri, I'd like to apologize if Sherry offends you at any point in the next six, seven minutes, okay? Okay. 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 All right, let's talk sports real fast. Um, I will get to the Russell Wilson story in a second, but... Bobby Wagner returning to the Seahawks. Does it make sense? Uh, it does. Uh, Jordan Brooks, our middle linebacker that replaced him, tore his ACL late last year. So we're really, really thin at linebacker. So I think it would make sense. Uh, he was the highest graded middle linebacker by PFF last year. So there's definitely some value there. It's more than just a, hey, let's get you know Bobby Wagner back for sentimental value. Um so I think that'd be a good move. Um, you know, we usually don't go for that kind of stuff. I, I assume we'll probably draft one maybe in the third round after we take care of some of that interior problems that we have. But uh, I'd, I'd like to see that. I, he never looked good in those gross Rams uniforms. I think he'd be happy to come back and spend his last year or however many years, probably probably one or two um, in Seattle. And uh, I'd be willing to take him. You know, I looked at his numbers. He, he didn't have a bad uh, season with the Rams. It was about average, a little above average, but the guy still leads the NFL or he's top five or ten when it comes to tackles. And um, he only had one small injury at the beginning of the preseason. He sat out, but the guy is uh, playing a middle linebacker position to be 31 years old. There's a lot of contact all the time, whether on the ball or off the ball, because you've got to get Bob, Bobby Wagner out of the play. So it'd be fun to see him come back. I'd like to see him come back. I think he loved it here. I think the people loved him. You just always hate to see somebody brought back in the twilight of their career because then all you're remembering is, oh, God, he would have made that tackle four years ago. Yeah, it can get sad. I'm just hoping that what we did, we did release him last beginning of last year. I'm hoping there's no bad blood there. It's all We're all still on good terms, and mm. and he'd be willing to come back because um, – I think he's probably a lot better than any type of guy we could draft or any other linebacker on the market. So it makes sense for both sides, and I hope to see it happen. It would definitely improve the Seahawks' horror, like terrible run defense. Uh, by the way, speaking of bad blood, hot, hot take on your part. Ready? It's a new sound effect we had, but in for Sherry. Uh, story now breaks that Russell Wilson said, fire Pete Carroll. And Schneider, get rid of John Schneider. Have you seen that story? I did. He denied it on Twitter. I think, and this always happens, something breaks and then Russell denies it. I think he has a weird way 
of communicating. Like, he's got this big team. He calls it Team 3. So maybe mm-hmm. he's telling them to tell somebody that or in whatever way. It's never really direct. So he's denying it. It's not really much of a story. We already knew that the Seahawks and Russell Wilson went out on bad terms. We just didn't know what the terms were exactly. Um, so if the story here is that Russell's still uh, kind of a brat, um, and that's certainly the Athletic published an article, I believe it was today, this morning, talking about the very strange dynamic in Denver with the way he's communicating with coaches and players on and off the field. And he's got his own office, which is, you know, not normal for a player. You're supposed to be in the wow. locker room like everyone else. So, wow. And he, he described it as an open door policy. Like, yeah, you can come and see me anytime. And the, some coach who remained anonymous was like, <laughs> Yeah, your open door policy should be your locker room. Like your locker <laughs> should be an open door. You don't. There, there shouldn't be such a thing. You know, coaches have an open door policy. So, uh, I, if the story is that Russell is um, is ca- causing a lot of trouble, we already kind of knew that. You know, they didn't fire Pete or John. They obviously chose those two over him. And uh, you know, it's good to see the uh, the ex girlfriend or boyfriend. You know, life fall apart after they leave you. <laughs> oh, really? Wow, hot take. He, he's right. <laughs> oh, he's right? Sure. Wow. Uh, I, I'm just surprised they let him have his own locker room. I, remember, I was talking to the guy. This is a trivia question for you. Sherry's going to ask. I think it was in, it might have been overtime or it would an easy kick. It was in New York. First name is John. He was kicking for the Saints. Yeah. And yeah. Wow! If you remember this, this is crazy. It was a long time ago, and it, it, yeah, and it's what I don't remember this the guy's name, but I asked him about it, and I said, "So what? What was it like in the locker room after missing that, and it caused you not to go to the playoffs?" And he said, "You know, it's really an interesting dynamic in the relationship that you have with the players because you don't practice really. You're off to your side. You, if you decide you want to not be part of the team because you're not there all with them all the time." They're not really going to be there for you when you screw up. They might give you a few high fives if you do well, but when you screw up, they, they didn't like you in the beginning. You made no attempt to be part of the team. He goes, but I was always right in there with them, singing with them, making fun of everybody. I, when in the locker room, I was part of the whole, you know, organization. And so when I missed that kick, they were, they felt my pain and they were with me. When you separate and put a quarterback in his own office, are you going to work as hard to stop somebody that's blitzing? I mean, will you will you do everything you can to block somebody who would take out your quarterback? Uh, I mean, I'd, it would have to be something. Of course, they're going to say yes um, yeah. because it affects them too, right? If, if you're missing blocks, you know that kind of falls down on you. Um, but as far as the way Russell's been treated, you know, we saw when everything, when you're winning, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you treat your teammates, right? If that kicker made that kick, I think his last name is like Gleeson or Gleason or something like that, but again, it doesn't matter. So when Russell's having all this success in Seattle, you know, everything's good. But you mm-hmm. see, last year we struggle, you know, for whatever reason that was. There were many, but, and then you see everybody kind of turn on him. You see former players and, some former coaches, everyone's coming out to sort of dogpile on the guy, which I believe makes me think that, you know, maybe he was never the best teammate and didn't treat the players equally. Maybe he viewed them as sort of 
inferior to him because he's the, you know, millionaire, you know, star quarterback. So uh-huh. it's all speculative. Um, yeah. And now you see what, uh, what people in Denver are saying about him. And uh, it, it, it's really ugly for Russell. And, you know, he's still my guy. I, I think he's kind of a weirdo. We all know that. But I, I'll always root for him. And I think uh, Denver will bounce back this year under new uh, head. Sherry, any questions for Rye? I have a question. Um, knowing that the Home Depot experience has ended, um, I have a Home Depot trivia question. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Oh, no. What was the original name of Home Depot? You know, I have actually have been told this before in one of our like team morale meetings. Um, but <laughs> was it like it was the guy's last name? I think like the guy who founded it, maybe his last name. I I don't know. I'm not gonna blow hot air. Just think. You could be talking today about retiring from Handy Dan's. Handy Dan's. That's right. There was a name involved. <laughs> ah, I right. like Handy Dan's yeah. better. Me too. I, I like, I'd rather work at Handy Dan's. Uh, by the way, it's John Carney. John Carney was the answer we're looking for. So, so <laughs> far you're 0 for 2. 0 for 2, Ryan. Uh, Sherry does bring up the fact that you handed in your resignation and then they went through the ceremonial laying out of the apron there at Home Depot, also known as Handy Dance. And the the apron that you wear, or they give you the apron, and you put it in the break room, and then it does it hang on a wall, or does it sit on some back table next to an old tuna fish sandwich? Where, where is that? Where's the uh, Walk us through that, because you described to me the other day how sad it is when the apron is left untouched. Yeah, they... Um... And they just lay it on a table in the break room, and everyone goes up and looks and goes, uh, who's leaving? Oh, okay, right. And then they lay a pen out as well, so you can sign it, write something nice, inside joke. Um, and I really didn't want them to do that because my fear was that, you know, only three or four people would sign it, and you'd be really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but and Which I have seen that happen to other people. Um, you know, it's sort of treating people poorly with a mostly orange apron with no ink mark. But uh, I'm proud with the turnout that I got. Uh, a lot of nice things. Uh, a lot of stuff about the Seahawks, which, you know, a bunch of Florida people. So clearly yeah. I made my mark. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bittersweet goodbye to uh, the company I spent my uh, formative years with. What was the what was the one of the bittersweet parts? I mean, what did you learn about life by having a job as a kid from what eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old? Um, I think the the good thing about it is, you know, I spent three years there, and you kind of feel like uh, what's the guy's name, Sisyphus, who pushes that rock up the hill mm-hmm. every day, yeah. and then he comes back the next day, and it's back down. That's kind of like working in most jobs, but especially retail and you're always cleaning up and trying to make sure everything's good. And then you just come back and, you know, it's, you got to do the same thing every day. So the, the payout really is in the end, when you've earned, you know, all these older guys that you work with or respect at the end and you can shake their hand and, you know, people are so, so nice and they believe that you'll do well because of your work ethic. And, you know, it's a good vote of confidence. So that was my, that's what I was, uh, uh, touched by, um, 
when I left. Just the, the impact that I made uh, to a bunch of strangers who I would never meet and, you know, have very little in common with. But due to uh, the need for employment, we came together. Mm. Would, you, would really... you ever ahead, Sherry, return? Sorry, oh, no, would you return? I mean, if you if you needed to get another job for some reason, would Home Depot be your first choice based on the experience that you had in Florida? Um, probably. I mean, if things don't go well with the next phase of my life, then yeah, I'll probably, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pout back into Home Depot and be like, all right, let's do this again. Um, because, you know, it's great. I, I started when I was 18 and, you know, I have no construction knowledge, right? My dad doesn't know anything. He's not going to teach me anything. So, you know, when, <laughs> thank you. Cause he was never there. <laughs> oh, he, he was there. <laughs> you know, some of the time, and you know, he, he knew about as much as I did. So, um, when being able to learn about like these lifetime skills, and uh, you know, then tell other people about it, it, it was a, it's a, it's a good job. T- oh. t- tell Sherry, tell Sherry the time you were all standing around. I think it was a couple of weeks ago or months ago that everybody about seven of you or five of you standing there and they handed out the W-2s and they opened the envelopes and the one guy standing next to you looking down at the envelope that showed his total gross income or net income for the year. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, about a month ago. And uh, we call it pumpkin patching where a bunch of us get together because we're all in orange and we're all, you know, standing next to each other. So we had, Mm -hmm. we were all kind of standing around. Everyone's opening up their W-2s. Um, and it really broke my heart because there's this, you know, a lot of the people that work at Home Depot, and this is, you know, with all due respect, they're just really dumb. It's like, yeah, this makes sense. You work here, right? And you're X years old. Um, but then there's, you know, one out of every like 10 people is like, you're a smart guy. You're funny. You know, why, why is this what, you know, you're doing in, you know, 40, 50 years old? And he opened up the W-2 and he was like, man, you know, at my age, I should be making, you know, triple that. And, um, it was, it was sad. So that's one of the reasons I would, uh, I'm glad to move on. That's what makes it sweet. Um, but the bitterness comes with the, uh, having to say goodbye to a lot of, uh, a good relationships I've made there. It's nice though. It's really nice that you had, you leave with a good feeling. You're not leaving with any kind of bitterness or, uh, feeling like, Oh, I'm so glad that's over. I mean, you, you, you still have, uh, you know, warm thoughts about the people that you worked with, what you learned, and what the experience brought to your life. Except for this, yeah, a big pallet of windshield wiper fluid, like that blue <laughs> well, stuff. that. Sure. And I bring it down with a forklift, which doesn't yeah. have a roof, by the way. And <laughs> a couple of um, a couple of the uh, bottles, gallon bottles, were un- opened already on this pallet, and I'm not sure how, but. They turned over and spilled, and it rained probably like five gallons of windshield wiper fluid directly onto me. So then there's like all this protocol that comes with that. Like, okay, you need to go, you know, get a change of clothes, wash your eyes out, like all this safety, you know, stuff yeah. that Home Depot tries to uh, employ. But I just, yeah. it was 755. I was like, I, I really have to go. So I just ran out the door. Um, but yeah, I, I am a true, I know I can't say no to these. Even though it's the seventh most, it's the seventh most listened show. So maybe I should stop preparing like I do. You take take a page from us. I wish I had one of those big gallon things unopened. I'd hit you with it right now. 
<laughs> well, I also want to say I'm impressed that, that Home Depot does comply with certain safety regulations, just none that have to do with the food in the break room, that food safety, they don't care about at all. That's, yeah, that's five days old, not even been in the fridge. That's not their problem. If, if they were on the floor doing something Home Depot related. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the memories. Yep. <laughs> Coming home. Coming home. Coming home. But not before you filled out the application to Central Washington University saying you were out of state, which that's a $47,651 bill dad gets to pay. <laughs> and with the seventh rated show, we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, right? Your, your dad's been telling stories about how rich he is all week, so he seems. Yes. It seems like he'll be fine. According to him, he can, he can afford. Yeah, he can have someone go to school for you. By the way, if you want him to. Hey, Sherry. Yes. That was something you, I shared with you and the listeners. The, 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 the small number that keeps us at number seven. You know, my son doesn't need to know that story. I didn't, I didn't say I, I didn't give any details. I just said right. you're that rich. You All are right. that rich. Right. We'll see you at the airport. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. All right. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Bye, Home Depot. Bye, Ride Roller. Love, love. Ring, ring. Love, love. Ring, ring. Bye, bye. Oh boy. Angela Davis, I know a lot of people know the name Angela Davis, but Angela Davis was, well, at one point she was wanted by the FBI, one of the most wanted. And um, she was part of the Black Panthers. She provided the guns that I believe killed uh, four people. Uh, I'm just working off a memory on this one. She was also involved in a, a judge got killed, a hostage. You get the whole history of what she did. That's a long time ago. You know, she was involved in... Some bad stuff in the 70s disappeared. The FBI found her. They then, uh, when she went to court, they acquitted her. And now she is celebrated as a scholar. She's a professor and often on most talk shows. You get Angela Davis talking about how much she loves communism and Stalin and she hates America. America's a horrible country and it's all racist. It's awful. The whole thing is awful. The whole thing was all built on this awful racism and imperialism and uh, Eurocentric uh, beliefs of difference between white and black. I mean, she's all in on the critical race theory stuff. So she um, sits down, Angela Davis does. I, this must be a regular PBS part of it, right? They they bust out a DNA test on you. Is that right? This is a, this is a show called Finding Your Roots. Oh, and good. they have celebrities that come on and they, they reveal to them um, some of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's very surprising. They didn't know that somebody was from Ireland or somebody was from this particular place. And they have all kinds of people on there. Mm-hmm. So she went on the show and she was looking to figure out who her maternal grandparents were because oh. her mother was raised in a, in a foster home and she didn't know her parents. Uh-huh. So they did the research and they found out that her maternal grandfather was a white Alabama lawyer. Hmm. Okay. And then and they go even and deeper, her, right? 
They do. Her fourth great-grandfather served Uh-oh. in the Revolutionary War, also white, uh-huh. and he was a slave owner. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. And yes. then? And uh, then? Shall I go to the sound? Yes. Any idea what you're looking at? That is a list of the passengers on the Mayflower. <laughs> no, I can't believe this. <laughs> no. <laughs> My ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. You, your ancestors came no. on the Mayflower. No, no, no. You no. are descended <laughs> no, no, no. from one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. Oof. That's a little bit too much <laughs> to deal with right now. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you may have descended from people who laid never the foundation never. for this country? Never, <laughs> never, never. Wow. Shocker for her. So what's the lesson learned here by, for Angela Davis? Let's see. Your great-grandfather held slaves. So should you be responsible she said, I always imagined my ancestors as the people who were enslaved. My mind and heart are swirling with all of this contradictory, all of these contradictory emotions. Hmm. So a lot of the stuff that she has been espousing since she, be, you know, became an activist, um, based upon what she believed, which was she's one of the oppressed. And apparently she comes from the other side. The and right, so then, the, then it, it was always that if you deal with the individual as an individual, which I'm sure most of the people that seem to have a problem with when you would like to deal with an individual individual as opposed to somebody with an immutable characteristic, when you remove the immutable characteristics and you go human to human, I'm sure Angela Davis would like to be seen for the totality of her work. And what she believes, as opposed to tying her to the past, which she really had no involvement in. She was not part of the Mayflower, as far as she was concerned. She was not part of uh, the white uh, slaveholder, right? But people like Angela Davis and those that uh want to continue with this idea of the oppressed and the oppressor and those that believe critical race theory is that the entire system of America um racism is built right in and it's everywhere that you look. Well now all of a sudden she's free to be who she is and she's not tied to a past. She can't run away from it. So I don't know. Would they if she I think she lives in California, they're trying to get reparations. Would she have to pay reparations? Because we now know that her great-grandfather had slaves, so therefore she would be responsible for the behavior of her great-grandfather. And if you think that the Mayflower and the people that came over were such horrible people, she's also tied in with that, so she's you know doubly guilty. And now she has to deal with this. Has she written anything since this, this revelation occurred? No, here's what she said about that. She said, I assume that my ancestor li- ancestors lived on plantations as slaves. But of mm-hmm. course, I didn't know, I, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know who the slave owners were. I just feel sad that these are my people who had to live under those conditions. It makes me realize what a miracle it is that we are here now. So I think she still identifies much more with uh, the, 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 the ancestors that were that were slaves and that had to endure those conditions versus mm-hmm. 
the the other the other uh, part of her, which happens to be, you know, Mayflower, slave owner, a white grandfather. Mm-hmm. Hmm. See, that's when you get into this idea of reparations. Then you say, well, did somebody who had a white father and a black mother, and that person identifies as black, would that person be considered um, worthy of reparations? Like Barack Obama, would he would he be, have to pay or would he receive? And so for Angela Davis, this is a bit of an eye-opener, and she gets a chance to see that you're not bound by the past. You are your own individual here today making your way and judged upon your merits and your contributions to society as opposed to being guilty of something your ancestors did, if you believe there's guilt that needs to be attributed to those people. Yeah, interesting. It will be interesting to see if she talks about this and if she elaborates more on it uh, in in a different way, you know, through her teaching or through whatever, um, you know, whatever her platform is these days. Huh. You know, I'm related to Thomas Fitzsimmons, one of the signers or one of the guys was in Philadelphia for the signing of the Constitution. Do you know that? I did not know that. That's impressive. Not really. When my brother took his kids, his little girls, there to Constitution or Independence Hall, and they were showing all the pictures of everybody, they had them all lined up. And they're looking around for Thomas Fitzsimmons. They're going down the hall, and they've got the photos of everybody, the paintings of everybody. And then it would, underneath it would say what they did, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and everybody there. They get the Thomas Fitzsimmons. It says, Thomas Fitzsimmons attended regularly, contributed little. <laughs> and my, <laughs> one of my nieces said, what's that mean, Dad? And my brother responded, that means not much has changed over the years. You've continued the family tradition. <laughs> Attended regularly, contributed little. <laughs> Otherwise, he, in other words, he was there for the free food. Well, it's in your DNA, so you really can't help yourself. <laughs> I, can't, I can't run from it. Uh-uh, oh, that's all right. Bucky's, Bucky's Auto Service Centers. They've been around for 52 years, and that's the place to take your car. That's Bucky's. You know, there's 16 locations. Stop and think about it. That's a lot. That's Bucky's, Bucky's Auto Service Centers. That's what take the car of yours. All right. I would just say this guy who's been studying food, dangerous foods, he's a lawyer for for uh, people that are poisoned by foods. And uh, he's most famous, I assume, this is the guy, right? Is this the guy, Jacob, that found the um, jack-in-the-box thing with the E. coli, that whole thing? He was warning about E. coli before the the case happened, basically. Yeah, yeah. So he's one of these guys, if you want to go to dinner with him, because he'd be like, I wouldn't get the pulled pork. Uh, Because he really knows what foods are not cooked properly and which ones have a greater propensity to make you sick. You should go out to the lunch or dinner with this guy, Sherry. <laughs> well, he has worked over 30 years um, trying to improve uh, food safety and also representing families and children of people who were harmed by unsafe food. So um, this writer for The Times went to him and said, hey, what do you, her name is Sandy Dotton, what do you not eat? What do you avoid as a food safety guy? Like, what do you mm-hmm. do? You know, and he gave a couple of... Um, I'm warning you, it's a list. He gave a few a few items oh, here. Boy. Um, oh, boy. Okay. Uh, unpasteurized milk or juice. Doesn't ever get that. Um, 
raw sprouts. And they say that that these raw sprouts can uh, harbor bacteria in their seeds. Also, uh, alfalfa, mung bean, clover, and radish. Mm, All right. Um, Meat that isn't well done. He says even though uh, he gets nasty looks from chefs and waiters, thorough cooking is important for ground and tenderized meat where pathogens can be mixed in. Bag I mean, salads. Take... Oh, boy. <laughs> Bag salads, pre-cut or pre-washed fruits and vegetables. Convenience is great, but sometimes I think it isn't worth the risk. The risk of contamination rises with a degree of processing, and packaged ves- vegetables are highly processed. Okay. But I mean, there's a risk to everything. But if you like your steaks medium rare... Then they bring it out to you and they cut it for you and they show it to you. Is this to your liking? It's just something better about a medium rare steak than there is a, you know, well done. Yes. he, you he take the he risk. Pro- yes, you do take the risk. He also won't eat raw or undercooked eggs or raw oysters and other raw shellfish. Now, he says shellfish. Mm. Do you think that includes uh, sushi? I don't know. He's probably thinking, you know, the different oysters... You know, what's he not supposed to eat any oyster with the, uh, as a, as a, what is it, the letter? The letter R. The letter R. The R. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. I ate, uh, I went to this place called the Village of Devaluke in Fiji, and we were there shooting this kava ceremony, and they passed around this chicken, and my friend John Stoffel, producer with Evening Magazine, didn't eat it. He put it in his hand and made it look like he was chewing it because everybody watched everybody. And I was like, yeah, what's the worst thing? Come home. And three weeks later, I'm still not feeling well. I'm kind of losing weight. I'm not going to go into great detail as far as my bathroom habits were concerned. But then I found out I got a tapeworm. Oh, oh, I know. That's horrible. How did and you the get doctors? It- <laughs> doctors like, God, I read about these in medical school, but I've never actually seen one. He was so excited, and I said, At this point, how long is it? He goes, Well, he's looking up. He said, They can grow to be I don't know how many meters long or something, and doing it in meters oh i'm so fancy i'm meters and um then he explained to me how we got to get rid of it you take two medicines one the tail comes off he said i've got some advice to you 48 hours from now just don't look back when you when you get to that beacon plumbing traffic desk i mean beacon plumbing toilet just at first you don't want to look and then the second medicine you take detaches the head from your intestines and then you know you've freed yourself of the tapeworm I used to hear there was an old wives' tale that what they would do is they would starve the tapeworm and then offer it a cracker, like you'd put a cracker in your mouth, and then the tapeworm would come all the way up to your mouth to grab the cracker, and then you'd grab a hold of the tapeworm and pull it out. <laughs> okay, what? You are in a kooky mood today. <laughs> I swear. So you, you, you hold it out, then go... You feel it going all the way up to your intestines yeah. and make, and make it so just like, for a cracker. Yeah. yeah, and the tapeworm's like, I'm starving, man. All right, I'll take it. And then you, then you grab it. And then you're wrestling it out of the person's mouth. <laughs> well, oh, I see. You put your foot on the guy's chest and you just, you're uh-huh. pulling on it. You're pulling on the tapeworm, which is very elastic. And it's got a cracker in its mouth. Depending on how many meters it is. (laughs) I didn't want to get rid of it because I'll get the Guinness World Book of Records that way. 
Well, it's a good weight loss technique. This man had a 75-meter tapeworm. 